So what we're going to be talking about is Matthew chapter 7. Uh, you can go ahead and get there. I'm going to try to preface this a little bit. So Matthew chapter 5 begins the infamous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it concludes in chapter 7. <clears throat> to me, that is the New Testament version of the Ten Commandments. The Sermon on the Mount is basically a blueprint. It's an instruction uh, on how we are to model our lives. Again, with every instruction that God gives us, uh, it usually ends up coming with a warning. So that's where we're going to pick up, and that's in chapter 7, verse 15. For y'all that are guests here, they're saying amen because they got there, not, not praying out loud. So verse 17, some versions say beware. Mine says watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. We're going to pray us in. God, we just love you. We praise you. God, I just come to you today, Father. Just, just let humility shine, Father. Let your word cut the hearts and cut the minds of, of everybody in here, Father. This message has been a blessing to me, and I hope that it can bless someone, Father. I just thank you for the words. God, I just ask that you just remove me completely out of this and that people see you instead of me. God, we just love you, and we praise you. I just pray over everyone here today, Father, that you just, you guide there and light their way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so how many times did y'all hear the word fruit? Fruit and fruit and fruit and fruit, good fruit, bad fruit, good tree, bad tree. Bad. It sounds like a uh, Dr. Seuss poem. Um, but we're going to keep going in this. I think most of you know uh, where these next couple of verses end. So I just want you to think about something. And Jay touched on it uh, kind of briefly about where we are at uh, in our world and in our country. Uh, so just imagine for a second what it would be like if you died and when you opened your eyes, you did not see heaven. Think about that for just a second. Luckily for most of us, um, if you do know Jesus, this is the closest to hell that we will ever see. The death, the darkness, the pain, the anxiety, the depression, all those things are worldly things that we are going to go through every single day. The hard part is, is when you know somebody that's been going to church, it may be you, you may be sitting next to somebody that has done everything right, but when they wake up, they will not see heaven. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes. Matthew 7, 21, keep them closed. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, depart from me, I never knew you.
Open your eyes. Those three verses to me are some of the scariest verses. Also, some of the most reassuring verses of Scripture to me. Now, granted, that's uh, bojoism, whatever you want to call it. Um, they trouble me because it, they describe a lot of people that we know. You may even be one of them. Uh, you may be sitting next to someone, like I said earlier. Somebody that on the, maybe on the outside seems like they got it all together. Good family, good job, uh, good church family. On the outside, they look like they got it all together. Some of these people that you know that on judgment will be, not, be denied the reward of righteousness. That's hard to think about. Now, this is reassurance to me, for somebody like me, um, because I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am saved by grace through faith, and without a shadow of a doubt, I know who my Lord and Savior is. So at that time of judgment, there is going to be no question. There's not going to be a depart from me, I never knew you. I know him. He knows me. That's all it takes. I have seen so many people, you may have seen them too in church, uh, they walk in the gifts of the Spirit. Some of them are very anointed, even in the gifts of the Spirit. You see them walk in that, and you just, I marvel at some of those people. Uh, you see them on communal worship even, Wednesdays and Sundays. Uh, words of, pro I mean, prophecies are given. Uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. I mean, it's, it, it comes naturally to some of these people. Verse 22 says, have we not prophesied in thy name? I've seen people stand face to face with some of the darkest evil spirits that hell can fathom. Cast out, cast them out of their friends, cast them out of their families. Verse 22 again says, and I cast out devils in your name. We've seen people start mega churches, huge ministries, Ministries that have literally reached the ends of the world. Fed the poor, supplied relief, donated money even. Led thousands of people to salvation. Even received physical and spiritual healing. Again, verse 22, in thy name done wonderful works. These people consist of Sunday school teachers, deacons, elders, worship leaders, and even pastors. They stand before God expecting to hear Matthew 25, 21, which is well done, good and faithful servant. Instead, Matthew 7, 23 rings in their ears, depart from me, I never knew you. I think the reason why that is, is it's scary for some of us to think how that could happen. If you put anybody standing in front of you on a pedestal, they are going to let you down. When you have been hurt by a church, sometimes it's because you have faith in that person standing in front of you instead of faith in Jesus. I've been there. I've done it myself. You hear Harp say all the time, we're not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. A lot of these things that we talk about, we've gone through, we've witnessed, we've come out of the other side. So my question always was, is how, how could this happen? This seems crazy, right? 
somebody that has devoted their entire life, has a successful ministry, has a successful church, led thousands to Jesus, how could they fall into that spiritual death trap? The answer is very simple. They get caught up in what their religion says and not Christianity. Notice that I said religion, okay? Religion is man-made. Christianity is centered around Christ. So in order to make that distinction, we have to, Scripture has to interpret Scripture. The biggest mistake we can make is use our denominational doctrine or religious tradition, uh, that's a mouthful, religious tradition as a standard for scriptural interpretation. That is a mouthful. I used to have a pastor say that's stinking thinking. We have to let scripture in context interpret our doctrine. I'm going to repeat that, Mikey, that is good. We have to let scripture in context interpret our doctrine. We see the doctrines, we see the traditions, uh, some religions. I'm going to try not to say any of those religions today, but I have a feeling y'all know me better than that, that some of it's probably fixing to come out. Um, but I'm, if I do that, I'm doing what I'm preaching against doing this very day. So anyway, uh, when we allow doctrine or tradition to interpret Scripture, we are no different than the Pharisees. We fall into religious tradition instead of relationship. There's that word again, relationship. Our spiritual lives have to be centered around the word and not doctrinal tradition. So I was much older. A lot of y'all know my story. Um, I was much older when I finally submitted my life to Christ. Um, my wife, on the other hand, uh, much different, uh, grew up in church, um, can tell you, all the stories, she relayed that to our oldest, who at the age of, what, six, she could tell you all 66 books of the Bible in order. I mean, they just, they almost hammer that into you. Well, since I was much older, uh, when I finally submitted, my relationship with Christ began then. There was almost, uh, I felt like I had a disservice maybe because I didn't know all those cool little stories that were teaching your kids in these classrooms. I still don't know a lot of those stories. My wife did, she grew up with them. My walk began immediately with the relationship aspect with Jesus, which is the way it should be. Uh, your kids are gonna get fed here, I have no doubt. They are gonna learn those cool little stories and the songs and everything else, but they are also gonna learn gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are gonna know who Jesus is and they are gonna know who Satan is. Because if you believe Satan is real, then you have got to believe that so is Jesus. So as we keep walking that out, uh, when we get into the doctrine, and I'm going to go over some of these things. Um, you ever have that conversation with, call them other religions, you know, Baptists. There, see, I said it. I said it. Well, let's just keep saying it then. Baptists believe in, you know, once saved, always saved, right? Church of Christ think that you have to be baptized in order to reach salvation. You have charismatic churches that, you know, speaking in tongues, and then some will say, oh, well, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit died with the apostles. 
none of this stuff comes from the word of God. It's all in there. It's about doctrine, and it's about tradition, and it is about interpretation. I've even initiated conversations like that. I have a really, really good friend of mine uh, who served with us on the, on the board at Christian Warriors Ministry before we launched the church, and he's raised Church of Christ. So I, you know, I, I want to ask him, ask him about baptism. And he and I went down that road, and it's funny because everything that I had to support my argument a few verses later was something that would support his. There is no right or wrong, I don't think, when it comes to your interpretation. If you can stand in front of God on Judgment Day and say, God, I read your word and I followed it the best that I knew how, the rest, you can just sep- the rest separates itself. So arguing about these things, it, do, it does two things. It leads to separation and it leads to division. Those are the two biggest weapons that Satan has to separate the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean Christian warriors. Y'all know that. I mean the body of Christ as a whole is literally at war with itself every day. We got other battles to fight, guys. We got bigger battles to fight. Jay mentioned one of them earlier today, and I'm going to touch on that here in a little bit. But most of the time, when we get into these arguments, it's almost like... The other person doesn't want the answer from God's word. They want to argue doctrine or tradition. You have to be so careful how you approach those conversations. They've got to be done in humility. As soon as you bring pride into the conversation, you're doing more harm to the kingdom than good. So what me and my friend ended up doing is, again, that famous phrase, we agree to disagree. And before we hung up the phone, I said, I'm going to get in my word and he's going to get in his word. There can be no wrong with that. As long as you create something where I'm going to learn, I want to dig, I want to see your perspective, I may not agree with you, but I'm not going to argue about it. He and I are on the same team. That's always my rebuttal to any time somebody, and I've bad, I'm so bad about jumping in the mud with people. If you want to get muddy, I'm your guy. I will jump in there so fast. <laughs> I will jump. <laughs> I will jump, I will fall into those traps. Two rebuttals. And I always ask them this, do you believe Jesus came to this earth fully God, fully man? Yes. Okay. Do you believe that he was crucified for our sins, past, present, and future, and for the world? Yes. Do you believe he was buried? Yes. And three days later, he rose again? Yes foundation. What else is there to argue about? What else is there to argue about? And when we get into the baptisms and we get into all this stuff, it's just so nitpicky that every time somebody tries to do that, I, I just, I pictured the thief on the cross. I even saw a sermon about it. Um, I can't remember who it was, but it was the thief. He ends up in heaven and everybody's asking him questions, you know, which church did you go to? I didn't. Where were you baptized? Who baptized you? When were you baptized? I wasn't. Well, how did you get here? His answer is, I met a man. I met a man 
And because I believed who he said he was, he told me I could come. There was no mention. His name is not even mentioned in the Bible. You know nothing about him. But at the end of that conversation on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. That's the end game. That's the goal. Isn't it? Separation and division. We created ourselves because I think we let Satan play a bigger part than we should. Um, I'm going to go down a couple of roads here. They tried to do it with race, with the George Floyd case. That didn't happen. They tried to do it with COVID. Oh, you got masks. Oh, you can't wear a mask. Oh, you got the shot. You... We opened up as fast as we could. We even handed out masks. We didn't make you wear them, but we handed them out. And now Roe versus Wade. Jay is 100% right. The church and my beliefs, I see this as a victory. I don't think that this is considered technically a victory because it is going to create separation and division. You are going to have people riding in the streets telling us that we can't tell you. Nobody has ever tried to tell you what to do. I never have. I may not like your decision, but a a female that's going through that situation, I'm not fixing to tell her that. I'm not going to hit her over the head with the Bible and start regurgitating scripture down her throat. She doesn't need that. She needs what Jay said. She needs to know that there is somebody that loves her, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he died for your sins. The decision is hers. Everybody asks me, I mean, I'll tell y'all, y'all know me by now, I'm a conservative Christian. I am pro-life. But I'm also pro, I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's your decision, not mine. I make my decisions, you can make yours. You can still have a decision to follow Christ, because that's what, even when you make that decision, he'll still forgive you. You have got to make that choice to repent. That's where it ends, right there. Repentance, a life of repentance. So like I said, all this stuff is just coffee house conversation. Those two things, if you can get that today, when you leave here today, you're going to be all right. Um, so I'm going to wrap Matthew 7, 15 through 23 up. Um, all this is, is, is just a two-sided warning about two sets of believers. One, you have the believer that on the outside looks like he's got it all together. You've got to look at the fruit in his life to know if he truly represents God. The same way you have the other side of the coin, the person that claims to follow Jesus, referring to him as Lord, when they are not, in fact, true believers. Only those who do the will of the Father will be allowed into the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus defines as the beginning of true belief. That is in John six twenty-eight and 29. Nick, if you'll throw that up there. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, 
The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That is so cut and dry. We are the ones that try to muddy it up. We get in our own head. True submission begins when you realize that your sin and not your theology separated you from God. Because he loved us, he sent his son to the cross to bear our penalty of death. And that if we repent of our sins and follow Jesus as Lord, our sin debt is canceled and we made righteous in Christ. End of the story.